Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 360 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today. Many of you will know of John Haig, sometimes known as the acid bath murderer, who killed six people in the last century, dissolving their bodies in acid. He believed that if there was no body, then it would be hard for him to be convicted. But he was proved wrong in this assertion, and he met his death at the gallows. Today we look at another case of murder when there was no body found, but this time our story comes from the Midlands. So before we begin, let's set some context to today's story. Girls Aloud topped the UK charts with I'll Stand By You. In the US, My Boo from Usher and Alicia Keys was in the top spot. And in Australia, the top-selling album of the year was Jet with Get Born. In the news this month, Million Dollar Baby, directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Hilary Swank and Morgan Freeman, was released. Ford launched a second generation of its best-selling Focus family car. A gang of thieves stole almost £27 million worth of currency from Northern Bank's Donegal Square West headquarters in Belfast, one of the largest bank robberies in British history, and no one has ever been directly found responsible for this crime. And finally, David Bieber, a 38-year-old former US Marine, was this month found guilty of murdering PC Ian Broadhurst in Leeds on Boxing Day the previous year. He was sentenced to life imprisonment and the judge recommended, quite rightly, that he should never be released from prison. After his conviction, it was revealed that Bieber was wanted in connection with a 1995 murder in Florida. It also revealed that he'd entered the UK by using the alias Nathan Wayne Coleman who was discovered to be a child that had died in infancy in 1968. Okay, so did you guess the month and year? It was December 2004. Of course it was. Obviously, with my love of high fashion, I was always a fan of the TV programme The Clothes Show. (laughs) I really wasn't. Goodness me, it reminds me of Sunday nights dreading school the next day. The Clothes Show... Last of the Summer Wine and Songs of Praise all remind me of Sunday nights I would much rather forget. But the programme was a huge success. And on the back of this, since 1990, Close Show Live has been taking place at the NEC in Birmingham, which is the UK's second city, about 125 miles northwest of London, and in about 20 years' time at the cost of billions of pounds, will be reached a few minutes quicker by HS2. 34-year-old mother of three, Michelle Gunshan, lived in London with her partner Ian. She'd worked in the security business for a number of years, and she travelled north to Birmingham on the 3rd of December 2004 with two of her colleagues, Richard Finney and Michael Keegan. The three had booked accommodation, but due to a flood at the hotel they planned to stay at, they ended up going to the Dubliner, which was a lively pub 
close to the city centre. This pub offered rooms in the form of three self-contained flats with two bedrooms and a shared bathroom. Michelle took one room in one of the flats and her two colleagues shared a room in another of the flats. After working at the show all day, it's a tiring old day, they retired to the bar for a drink after work. But while they were there, Richard's wife called to say that where Michelle had left her car outside Richard's house so they could all travel up together, had so annoyed a local resident that they had left a nasty note on the window. Yep, we all know that sort of person. Yep, we all do. Michelle agreed with Richard that to be on the safe side though, she would drive back in his car, leaving it at his house and then return in her car, her escort. All went to plan and she got back in the early hours and went to bed. After all, it was an early start the next morning at the show. She drove her colleagues to the venue the next day and on arriving back at the pub, she secured a spot close to the pub to park the car. Whilst her two colleagues headed to the bar, Michelle was still a little weary from the night before and she said that she might just get an early night. About an hour later, Richard found out he was out of cash and so he headed up to Michelle's room to see if she would lend him some. The room was unlocked and inside he saw that Michelle was just taking it easy, watching some TV on the bed before calling her daughter Tracy. The pair were really, really close and they spoke every day and numerous times a day. Her daughter later recalled that conversation. I rang my mum. She seemed tired, she said. She was at the Dubliner pub. We were talking about Christmas because I wanted a pair of shoes for work and I said, Mum, if you can, it would be great. She said she would see what she could do. I asked if she was tired and she said yes. So I said, I'll let you go and I'll speak to you tomorrow. Once she'd finished a call with her daughter, Michelle then called her partner Ian before turning in for the night. Meanwhile, her two colleagues were downstairs going very large in the lively bar where the beer was flowing, there was music, there was pool and there were loads of people to chat to. The next day, both men slept through their alarms and they popped up to Michelle's room when they were woken by managers there to see if she'd waited for them. The door was unlocked so they popped inside but there was no sign of Michelle. Richard and Michael couldn't see Michelle's car outside the pub, so they assumed that she'd left for the venue without them, so they jumped in a cab to the NEC. But Michelle hadn't gone to work. And when that was realised, her employer began to become concerned. And so they tried her phone, there was no answer. They phoned her family, but none of her family had heard from her. And her car still wasn't outside the Dubliner. At 3pm, Richard and Michael came back to the hotel and they checked Michelle's room and they saw Michelle's belongings were there along with her mobile phone was in her room. There were 27 missed calls and the last number that she dialed was her partner Ian's the night before. Michael and Richard spoke to the owner of the pub about the mystery of just where Michelle was and he called down the other man who'd been staying at the pub, 36-year-old Michael Stafford. He was an old friend of the landlord from growing up in Ireland. He was down on his luck and earned his bed and his copious amounts of beer by collecting glasses, doing other odd jobs around the pub and walking the dog. He said that he'd seen Michelle the night before washing her jeans in the shared bathroom, but otherwise he hadn't seen anything of her the night before. 
Michael was asked to clear Michelle's room as new guests were due to arrive. But when he went to do so at 5pm just a couple of hours later, the room was completely empty of all her belongings. And nobody in the pub seemed to know who had done this or even how they'd gained access to her room. It was very strange. With still no sign of Michelle, the police were called. And detectives felt that CCTV footage could play a key role in the investigation as they tried to discover just what had happened to Michelle. One piece of CCTV in particular appeared to be significant, which was recorded just after 7am on the Sunday when Michelle seemingly disappeared. This showed Michelle and one other person getting into the car, and they were so close together, it looked as though Michelle was being forced by the other figure to get in the car. In fact, they both got into the driver's side, which isn't what a normal couple would do, is it? The car was caught by a speed camera at 8.20am, being driven by a man with Michelle in the passenger seat. It was flashed again at 9.08am, heading back towards the pub this time. But on this occasion, there was no sign of Michelle. It was the same man driving, but Michelle wasn't there. And then on the 7th of December, this car was found just a few streets away from the Dubliner pub. So did this suggest that whoever had taken Michelle and the car needed to get back to this general area? Is this where the person responsible lived? The car itself was muddy inside and also smeared with blood that matched Michelle's. There was also semen found on the front seat. And when this was tested, it was so significant that the sexual activity must have actually taken place on that seat. It can't have been transferred from another experience elsewhere. And when the DNA from this was tested, it was a clear match to Martin Stafford, the other occupant of the pub apartments on the night that Michelle had disappeared. But there was no sign of Stafford. He'd been missing since the Dubliner, since the Sunday, the 5th of December. But when the CCTV images were shown to the owner of the pub, he confirmed for sure that the images from the car were Stafford. He had been driving. Combined with a DNA match, he was clearly the prime suspect for taking and sexually assaulting Michelle. But was she still alive somewhere? The owner's brother had bumped into Stafford outside the pub in the early hours of the 6th of December and offered him a bed for the night, assuming he'd fallen out with another customer. It was a common thing to happen with Stafford. Stafford accepted his offer but asked him not to mention to anybody at all that he was staying with him. And over the time he spent at the flat with him, Stafford drank heavily, very, very heavily. On one drunken evening, the two men spoke about the hills near Dublin and the rumours that they were full of dead bodies. During this conversation, Stafford said that if he ever committed murder, he would get rid of the body in the concrete foundations of some building or some road. From here, Stafford made his way to Dublin from Holyhead on the ferry and he used false IDs to get into Ireland. He then stayed in a dilapidated railway hut in the city. Once there, he carried out a serious sexual assault on an escort he'd previously bought sex from. The escort went to see him again on the night of March the 10th, 2005, just three months after Michelle went missing. But this time, Stafford was different. 
She arrived at 7.30pm and he locked the door from the inside and told her she was getting fuck all money. Let me quote what happened next from a report in the Irish Independent newspaper. Stafford then pushed her down on a bed and picked up a hammer, threatening to smash her face in. He then raped her twice. Stafford then began drinking from cans he had bought. Stafford ordered her to perform oral sex and again raped her while shouting at her to stop crying. The frightened woman hid the hammer under a rail worker's jacket he had given her and when Stafford turned his head, she struck him on the side of the head but he grabbed the hammer from her while screaming that she was in for it and she was going to be punished. He also held scissors and a knife to her throat. Stafford, now drunk, fell asleep some 15 minutes later and after some time she used her phone to contact the police who told her they were on their way but she would have to make a noise. She turned the radio on loud and Stafford woke up. Shortly after that the police arrived and he was arrested. This was at 5.30am if you recall. Her ordeal had started at 7.30pm. What a dreadful all-night attack on an escort just doing her job. Stafford went to court for this and the court heard that Stafford had 23 previous convictions including a seven-year sentence in 1997 for false imprisonment of a contract cleaner whom he forced at knife point to perform a sexual act. His lawyer in mitigation said he had suffered a terrible childhood of his mum and three siblings dying when he was young and how he began abusing drugs in a big way at just 14. For this crime, Stafford was sentenced to nine years in prison. Detectives investigated Michelle's disappearance, as well as hearing about this case, also learned of another incident involving Stafford just before Michelle was attacked, this time at a homeless hostel in London. On the 25th of July 2004 at about 2.30am, the victim was trying to sleep when he heard banging on the door. He told the person banging that he was trying to sleep and to leave, but the banging continued, so he got up and answered the door. On opening it, he saw Stafford, who pushed into the room and shut the door behind him. He threatened him, asking him to take off his gold ring and give it to him. He also pointed at a number of other things, including the TV. Stafford then pulled out a knife and said if he didn't give it to him, he would get his brothers and the IRA on him. Stafford then unzipped his trousers and pulled out his penis. He urinated in the cup and demanded that the other man perform oral sex on him. When he refused, Stafford lunged at him with a knife. It caused a badly cut right hand that needed hospital treatment. Members of the staff came hearing a commotion and one of them heard Stafford say, If you grasp me up for this, I'm going to kill you. I mean that. Despite his protests of innocence, Stafford was charged with unlawful wounding. As Stafford was serving a sentence in Dublin, police officers in the West Midlands couldn't extricate him back to the UK, so they had to wait until he finished his sentence. Meanwhile, in May of that year, with Stafford still in Ireland awaiting trial for rape, and no more news as to her mum's whereabouts, her daughter Tracy found out she was pregnant. It was so sad, she said. My first instinct was to tell my mum and I cried that she couldn't be there to share my happiness. She told the Mirror newspaper how it was a dreadful time for the family 
A few months after my mum disappeared, the nightmare started. I'd see a person chopping her up, putting her in bin bags, or burying her alive. In 2011, at the end of Stafford's sentence, the West Midlands police arrived at the custody suite where Stafford was being held, and he was taken back to Birmingham Crown Court to face trial for the murder of Michelle Gunshin. The prosecution told how they believed Stafford raped and murdered Michelle. Even though no body had been found, they felt they had the evidence to secure a conviction. They had CCTV, DNA, his past history of serious sexual assaults, and he had had access to Michelle's room. It transpired he had been given a key one time and got one of his own cut. Under cross-examination, he was a pathetic figure, saying, My mind is so shot with drink and drugs that I can't remember much. He explained that he was high on cocaine at the time of Michelle's disappearance and tried to explain his semen being in the passenger seat of her car by saying he'd used the car for consensual sex with someone else. Highly unlikely. But more evidence pointed to his guilt. He had a kitchen knife in his room and he'd used it before, once in a fight with another man who lived in the same block as him, and another time he threatened a woman who disturbed him during a burglary at her home and he'd forced her to remove her clothes and perform sex acts. On that occasion, he eventually shut the poor woman in a safe with another woman who'd been cleaning the house. It was really fortunate they triggered an alarm, as the safe was actually airtight, and they would otherwise both have died a particularly horrible death. It certainly seemed likely that this was a knife he'd used to threaten Michelle with before forcing her into her car with him. And what about the body? What has he done with Michelle? At this time, the Bullring shopping centre in the centre of Birmingham was being redeveloped. As he had said in the drunken conversation shortly after Michelle's disappearance, if you recall, he'd spoken about leaving a body in concrete. Had he done this at the Bullring? Or had he buried Michelle somewhere? If he had, this could explain or the soil that was found in the car. Either way, Stafford, he wasn't admitting anything. The jury made their decision based on the evidence in front of them and found him guilty of all charges. Murder, rape, false imprisonment, and preventing a proper burial. For this, he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term in jail of 33 years. Throughout the whole trial, Stafford was emotionless. Jailing him, the judge said, Michelle Gunshin came to Birmingham to do a job at the NEC. By all accounts, she was a very lively lady with a full life ahead of her, who had children she loved very much. She by pure chance encountered you at the Dubliner public house where she was staying. This was, of course, fatal for her. You took her to her own car, raped her, and when she no doubt fought back, killed her using the knife you had with you. All of that is terrible enough, but you then dispose of her body and have never told anybody where it is, which has caused unimaginable distress to her family. Michelle's daughter Tracy wrote to him many times asking for him to please let them give Michelle a proper burial and lay her to rest. In a letter she wrote, After everything, you still have time to change. Time to do the decent thing. For me, for my family and for my mum. 
I need to know where she is. I need you to tell me. I want to lay flowers on her grave and say goodbye. Tell me where she is. That's all I ask of you. But even though Stafford was going to spend the rest of his life in prison, he could not even do that. Let's forward wind to 2015, when Michelle's daughter Tracy was just living a normal day. She described what happened next. I was at home with some friends when a car pulled up outside. A woman knocked on the door and I realised it was my victim liaison officer. I asked her what was going on and she said Stafford had died in prison. At first I was relieved, but within a minute I thought, but what about my mum? Stafford, at just 47, had caused so much damage to his body through years of abusing alcohol and drugs and he died of pneumonia and liver disease in prison. Speaking later in 2020, Tracy said how the family still regularly returned to the spot where she was last seen to lay flowers. I just want to keep her memory alive because even though it's years on, that bit of hope that someone may come across her is still alive. It's hard, especially around Christmas. I try and hide my emotions so my children aren't affected. She never liked the cold. She's out there somewhere, but no one knows where. And just one final side note to this story. In 2006, the Dubliner suffered an arson attack and the whole building was burnt to the ground. Nobody was ever convicted. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Once again, it's such a shocking and distressing story. And as for Stafford not revealing what he had done with Michelle, it brings back memories to me and to you, no doubt, of other heartbreaking cases, such as Keith Bennett and the murder of Helen McCourt, which resulted due to the strength and bravery of her family, of Helen's law, which places a legal duty on the parole board to consider the non-disclosure of victims or victims' remains when deciding upon release where the board believes they have knowledge of it. But like the killers of Keith and Helen, Stafford is now dead, and he's taken his secrets to his grave with him, leaving distraught family and friends without the answers they need and deserve. And the case itself, like so many we hear on this podcast, is just a litany of unfortunate events. The fact the three work colleagues were staying at the Dubliner was only due to the flooding of the original hotel. Then the fact that Stafford happened to be down on his luck and staying with a childhood pal who was just doing him a favour. We can only imagine the sheer terror that Michelle must have felt as she was forced into her car and forced to undergo the horrific attack that she suffered in her final moments. To finish this episode, I think we can only send Michelle's friends and family our love and hope that one day, One day, Michelle is found and they get some answers. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK True Crime, please just head to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us who talk UK True Crime 24-7. Just UK True Crime. And to support the show, please do head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime for bonus episodes and loads of other exclusive content. And a huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Nicola Jones, Sarah Fuller and Dave Brown. Thank you so much. Your support is so, so appreciated. It really keeps me producing this free content every week. 
So please do join our community at patreon.com slash UK True Crime. It costs less than a cup of coffee a month and you can cancel at any time. You know it makes sense. Okay, so that's all for me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.